For the rest of you adults, don't sit down quite yet. Would you stand out of respect? Would you stand out of respect for the very words of Jesus, okay? So I'm gonna read to you the passage I'm gonna be teaching from today. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. So hear these words. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, said Jesus, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, please be patient with me. I'll pay it all. And his master, who was filled with pity for him, released him and forgave the debt. But when that man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed that guy by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, I'll pay it, he said. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. Oh, they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the first man, the one he had forgiven, and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. You may be seated. When Jenny and I were young, and before we had kids, we volunteered in children's ministry. Uh, and we had one class that graduated with us three years in a row. They were third graders with us, then they were fourth graders with us, then they were fifth graders with us. And one night for Sunday night church, we brought in Kentucky Fried Chicken. We treated them to a good chicken dinner. And that night, Josh, they decided that they were going to come up with a name for themselves. And do you know what they decided they would name themselves? The KFCs, Kids for Christ. <laughs> that was an original idea, not crispy. Boom. So, dad jokes, you're welcome. So, they came up with this name, and we loved serving with the kids, and we did so, and we served alongside several other couples. We met with these couples, we prayed with these couples, we served with these couples, we considered them friends. Until one day, we found out that Wayne, the husband of one of these other couples, was going around church and telling all the parents to pull their kids out of our class because that Max Vanderpool cannot be trusted. He's a heretic. He doesn't believe the earth is only 6,000 years old and who knows what other things he's telling your kids, right? And so they warned other parents to pull their kids out of our class. They never even talked to us. It totally caught us off guard. We did not see it coming. And it hurt, it ruptured 
the relationship. As Justin Early writes, no one can hurt us more than friends can. Can I get an amen? <laughs> no one can hurt us more than friends can, which means that you cannot practice real friendship without practicing forgiveness constantly, constantly. What do you do when a friend hurts you? When a friend is selfish, when a friend doesn't care for you the way that you had hoped, when a friend lets you down, do you confront them? And if they don't seem to apologize right or offer the right amount of empathy, do you walk away? Do you ghost them? Many friendships in America today last until the first conflict. Many friendships in America today last until the first conflict. And that's a shame. It really is because we learn forgiveness by practicing it. And we practice it in the context of friendship. And so I have a clear bottom line today. Without forgiveness, there is no friendship. <laughs> I've got news about your friends. They're going to let you down. I've got news about you. You're going to let your friends down. <laughs> you need forgiveness. Your friends need forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there is no friendship. There's a reason that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because when someone has wronged us or hurt us, particularly a friend, they owe us something. So if you brought a Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 18. That's where I'm going to be today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and following. Matthew is, a, is really a, a discipleship manual. So the early church used the gospel of Matthew as a, you want to apprentice with Jesus? You want to follow Jesus? Here's what it is. Gospel of Matthew. And so... Uh, in this chapter, we have Peter posing a question to Jesus and thinking he's going to be magnanimous with how Peter is forgiving someone, okay? And that's the first little verse there. Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, the Jewish rabbis of the day spelled everything out with clarity, you only had to forgive someone three times. On the fourth time, kapow, you stink. I'm walking away from you. You're a terrible person. The fourth time, you only, have to, you only had to forgive three times, three times. So Peter, in asking this question, is setting himself up to be kind of magnanimous. All the rabbis say, you only have to forgive three times. And Peter's like, hey, boss, seven times, right? Do I have to forgive seven times? And Jesus' answer is astonishing. No, 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 no. Seventy times seven. In other words, countless times, Peter, uh, you need to offer forgiveness in an unlimited quantity, okay, uh, for the truly repentant, because that's God's model. God constantly forgives. And then Jesus tells this parable about a man who owes a lot of money. Now, this man owes the equivalent in today's dollars of 2.5 billion, that's B with billion, 2.5 billion dollars. It's an unpayable amount. 
you could buy a good part of Kentucky. <laughs> okay, so $2.5 billion. Now, the king might get a single talent per slave. And a talent, uh, 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 so out of the amount that the guy owes, he owns 10,000 talents. So one person sold into slavery is one one ten thousandth of what's owed. Is the king going to get his money back? No. Even if he throws the whole family into debtor's prison, the king's not going to see a dime. He's not going to collect this money. And the servant pleads with the king, forgive me, I'll repay it. Is the guy being honest? No, he's not going to repay this amount of money. And the king knows it, but the king feels pity for the man and cancels the debt. That guy then turns around and runs into somebody who owes him money. So he owed the king $2.5 billion. This other guy owes him $4,000. Is there a difference between $4,000 and $2.5 billion? Yes. Has the guy who's been forgiven $2.5 billion been given like a fresh start in life? Has he been given a new lease? Has he gotten like won the lottery in a sense? Yes. And he runs into someone who owes him a paltry 4,000, four grand, and wants every single penny. The second servant pleads almost identical to the first one, but he's thrown in prison. So the mercy and benevolence that the king showed the first guy should have trickled down to the second guy, but it didn't. And as things happen, I don't know if you know this about people, but people talk. When people see an injustice in an organization or a church or a school, you work with people. If one of your coworkers is mistreated, what happens? People talk. People talk. Oh my gosh, we can't have this. And somebody, somebody needs to go tell the king. Somebody needs to go tell the boss. This can't stand. Somebody's got to do something about this, right? And so this is what's playing out in this parable. And so the people have seen the guy who was forgiven $2.5 billion turn around and be an absolute jerk to this other man who owed him only $4,000, and they report it to the king. And so the king calls the man back in. Judgment time. You evil servant. He's not mincing words, is he? I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Key phrase. Just as I had mercy on you. So there's an expectation that the king had that his grace and mercy shown to the one guy would flow out to others. And there's two parts here, right? Um, there's the mercy part. Mercy is not getting what's deserved. So mercy, in this case, is not being thrown into debtor's prison. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Sometimes we refer to a bonus, right? As uh, I didn't earn that. That's just extra money that came my way. And so the first servant was neither gracious nor merciful. Don't you know people who've claimed to be with Team Jesus, but they're vindictive? 
they're unforgiving. Haven't you known people? Oh yeah, Jesus and me. But revenge is like their middle name. <laughs> okay? The point that Jesus is making is that God is merciful and gracious. And as people who've experienced God's mercy and grace, we should be merciful and gracious too. The servant didn't understand what had happened to him. It didn't change him. So if you have friends and you want to keep friends, I have good news and bad news for you. You're going to have to forgive them. You're going to have to forgive them constantly. And they will have to forgive you constantly. Again, out of Jesus' mouth. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So, without forgiveness, there is no friendship. Okay? So, I want to outline some practical ways that this plays out. And David will put up my take it home. Okay? I've stolen these, this set of practical advice from three people, Andy Stanley, Dallas Willard, and Justin Whitmull Early, okay? So the first, the first is simply this. Anger with a friend or with anyone is usually a sign there's been an offense. So here's what I mean by that. If you think of somebody in the church family, somebody that you work with, you think of a friend, and as you're thinking of that person, you're mad, They've stepped on your toes. They've done something, or worse, they should have done something that they didn't do because you're mad at them. Something's going on. There's been an offense. So that anger is a giant little red flag waving in your heart saying, oh, relationship breach. So recognize that for what it is. When you have a friend, when you have somebody in mind, and when you think of them, there's just anger, right? That's an indication that there's been an offense. And if you think to yourself, well, I'm not so sure, Pastor Max. I don't know. Like, you know, I can be mad a lot for lots of different reasons. Here's another way to measure it. Do you have imaginary conversations in your head where they are on one knee? I'm so sorry. I was a terrible friend. I can't believe you would even be my friend because I stink as a friend. Or do you have imaginary conversations where you're explaining it to them? <laughs> if either of those are the case, yes. <laughs> yes, there has been an offense. The answer is yes. That leads us to the second step. Determine what they owe and cancel the debt. You cannot forgive a debt that hasn't been defined. So what did they take from you? How did they let you down? Spell it out. Not being for, there for you, a broken promise, not considering your needs or wants. What was it exactly? Name it and forgive it. Cancel it. And this is a key thing, number three. Let the words lead your heart. I forgive you. I forgive you. Say this with me. I forgive you. Let's say it again. I forgive you. You're going to need to learn to say those words. Americans like to say things like, oh, it's okay. No problem. No worries. No, no, no. I forgive you. And then you're also going to have to practice another phrase, which is really a question. Will you forgive me? 
when you're confronted with a moment in which you didn't live up to, you stepped on someone else's toes, will you forgive me? Okay? Those are two phrases that you're going to have to have at the tip of your tongue. And what do you do if you're still triggered and you're still angry when you see them or their name pops up on a text message on your phone and then you feel the burn on the inside? <laughs> Remind yourself, that's right. I made a decision to cancel that debt. I've chosen to forgive them. They don't owe me anymore. Here's why friend, uh, forgiveness and friendship matters. Ongoing forgiveness and friendship means that you can be you. If you're like me, you're imperfect. <laughs> You don't even live up to the kind of person you want to be. <laughs> and so ongoing forgiveness and friendship means that you can be you, the flawed, imperfect you. Ongoing forgiveness and friendship frees you from unrealistic expectations. Ongoing forgiveness and friendship allows you to risk, allows you to be vulnerable, allows you to stay. In other words, it allows you to practice friendship. Justin Early puts it this way. If you're not willing to get hurt, you're not willing to have friends. If you're not willing to get hurt, you're not willing to have friends. Now, for those of you who are teenagers and students, this would be a good week to talk to a parent or someone in your life who's a trusted adult and ask them, Mom, Dad, what exactly is forgiveness and what is not forgiveness? What are those things, okay? Ask your mom or your dad or a trusted adult, has a friend ever let you down or hurt you? What did you do? Did you forgive them? Why or why not? Um, forgiveness does not always mean that you let people off the hook of the consequences of their decisions and actions, okay? There's a difference. But these are some things to ferret out with your parents. For those of you like me that have many, many miles in the rearview mirror, I have some questions for us, Team America. When did we decide in America that good friendships would never have conflict? Who made up that rule? When did that come along? And uh, when, when did we decide that in order to have a friend, they have to agree with me on everything that I believe and think? That's crazy. <laughs> I can't even do that with my wife, who is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. <laughs> like, and we're married. I can't pull that off with friends. Did we forget what people are like, including ourselves? We don't even live up to the kind of people we want to be all the time. So why are we expecting our friends to be perfect? Without forgiveness, there is no friendship. Which brings me to Jesus. Brings me to Jesus. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus has been betrayed, arrested, tried, brutally crucified, dead and buried, raised back to life. If you're a disciple, that week was incredibly traumatic. I know young people like to talk about trauma a lot these days. Well, let me tell you, the disciples were traumatized. Their best friend, whom they let down and abandoned at his greatest moment of need, was arrested, tried, convicted, and he's back to life? Like, what? How do you even make sense of all of that? And that's John chapter 21. And I'm going to read 14 verses, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. 
This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Oh, we'll come too, they said. So they went out in a boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but his disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed on the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and the net had not torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. I love this. Traumatic events, what's going on? Jesus is standing by the shore. They've gone fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. And then they go to the shore and he's got breakfast for them. What? He made breakfast for his friends. And then this kicker thing right here. We know exactly how many fish they hauled. I don't know if you know this about fishermen and habits. We're all people of habits. And fishermen, one of the habits they have, if you're a commercial fisherman, is at the end of the day, you know how many pounds, how many fish, you know the count. They did the count. Jesus waited while they did the count for the fish. <laughs> it's what fishermen do. Does Jesus care for his friends? Yeah. He really cares for his friends. And the kicker is what happens after that. And that's John uh, chapter 21, verses 15 and following. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, said Jesus. A third time he asked Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. From here on out, Peter is not going to be known as the denier of Jesus, but rather as Jesus' under-shepherd. Jesus is not allowing that moment to define Peter. Jesus is being such a good friend, such a forgiving friend. What did Peter not get from Jesus? He didn't get a lecture. He didn't get a whole hey, could you not tarry with me one hour in the garden? You kept falling asleep, and then in the moment where I needed you most, you cut and run. He didn't get a speech from Jesus. What Peter got was forgiveness. And what Jesus does on the beach is 
with all of the smells and sounds and fish and breakfast and with the question posed three times, Jesus is not allowing Peter to be marked by shame. Rather, he's helping Peter experience forgiveness and be able to see himself the way Jesus sees him as an under-shepherd. Jesus is going to entrust his flock to Peter. Jesus does this for each one of us, and it's his wish and desire that we would be as gracious and merciful with each other. Again, without forgiveness, there is no friendship. But as we forgive each other over and over and over again, we learn forgiveness. We live forgiveness. And in this way, we are just like our master, Jesus.